0: Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be delightful in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Transition and change in leadership in the church. Here it is in the very first chapter of the book of Acts. Seems right from the beginning of the church. Here we are at Easter 7 in between Ascension and Pentecost, In between, Jesus bodily leaving the disciples to return to God after he has been preparing them for mission and before the coming of the Holy Spirit to empower them for that mission. They would discover later with the Holy Spirit what we know now, that Jesus, their teacher and Lord, would be present with them always. Jesus had instructed them to wait and to pray, to wait for the Holy Spirit. Here, though, right away, they start regrouping and organizing for their mission. Jesus had commissioned them that after the Spirit had come, they were to go to the ends of the earth and preach about the kingdom of God. Somehow now, in this in-between time, it seemed urgent for them to reorganize. The death of Judas had reduced their numbers, so they set out to replace him. They go back to their ancestral roots and the 12 tribes of Israel, and they want to establish this new Israel. They decide they now need that symbolic 12 apostles. Peter sets out the criteria, and they all apparently agree, that the person they choose had to have been with Jesus since the beginning of his ministry and have been with the apostles right up until Jesus was taken up. The person had to have walked with Jesus. The text says that there were women present, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, The text is silent about the fact that some of these women would also have fit that criteria of being with Jesus from the beginning and witnessing the resurrection and the ascension. The unspoken criteria, the cultural assumption of Peter, the pre-spirit assumption is that the 12th apostle needed to be a man. We don't have any information about the two men they chose who fit these requirements, Joseph, and Matthias. They are not mentioned in the Gospels, and neither are they ever mentioned again. The gathered community prays for guidance and then draws lots, which was an acceptable ancient biblical practice for making decisions. I am not suggesting we set this up in place of our discernment for ministry. I always wonder, though, about discernment for leadership that is either or. If both of them fit the criteria, why squeeze it into the mold mold of only 12? Aren't both of them called? Yes, some are called to leadership. All of us, all are called to discipleship. All the baptized have a ministry. I always worry that we focus so much on ordained leadership that it's either you're called to be a priest, it's either yes or no. When the question is, if all are called to ministry, to which ministry are you called? Part of the work of the church is to help everyone discern their particular call as a disciple. And in this time of rapid change and needing new creative models of team ministry, this work of the church becomes even more important. Matthias has, in some interpretations, become the patron saint of the ordinary unsung heroes, the behind the scene worker that we never hear about, which is a good thing that it's a good thing that we have a patron saint because the church is full of those people. But I want to push a bit on this too. Justo Gonzalez, who's one of my professors in Atlanta, asks why we never hear again about Matthias. Did they move too quickly before the coming of the Holy Spirit to discern their direction for reorganizing? Would there have been a different outcome if they had waited, as Jesus asked them to, waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit? Of course, we can't know. We'll never know. But, and sometimes we have to move and take risks and see, of course. Professor Gonzalez, a Cuban Methodist, raises a question for me. That what went wrong here? Did they choose to fast? Is it that they placed the issue of organizational structure before the issue of the mission of the church? They preempted the authority of the Spirit by focusing on matters of church structure rather than on the mission, the new mission to the Gentiles, which the Spirit would push them into. So the apostles, maybe prematurely, sought one who looked like them. They chose one like themselves. And this is not, according to the book of Acts, how the Spirit works. Some say it shouldn't be titled the Acts of the Apostles, but instead the Acts of the Spirit the Spirit will push the apostles out of their comfort zone time and time again with people who do not look at all like them. At Pentecost, as we will hear next week, the the apostles are startled into recognizing the ancient vision of the Spirit being poured out for all. On women and men and young and old, and slaves, and free. It's kind of this outward circle of the Spirit being poured out on all. Soon after Pentecost, as the apostles get so busy preaching, they can't organize to look after the widows, the biblical symbol for those who are disenfranchised, the poor. They add another order of ministry, diakonia, service deacons. They are learning now to structure for mission. Although it seems that they have yet to figure out that women can be deacons, that will come. Soon the spirit pushes Philip to encounter the eunuch from Ethiopia, a person who does not fit their race or their gender categories. And then Peter is sent to Cornelius, a Gentile, also considered unclean, way outside the boundaries of this new Israel. Unimaginable, these people are not like the apostles at all. Meanwhile, Paul, who never met the person of Jesus, will expand the definition of apostle to someone called by the risen Christ. And then in Rome, Paul will work beside women he calls apostles. Toward the ends of Acts, that Philip Philip's four daughters will be recognized as prophets. There's this outgoing expansion of call. Beyond the book of Acts, the writer of John's gospel will clearly outline that there is no such thing as a second generation of Christians, all later disciples who are in a relationship with Jesus, They are witnesses. They are blessed. They are like the first disciples. Yes, some are set aside for particular roles in community, but all are called. All are important to the mission and ministry of the community. The Holy Spirit blows apart the ideas that the original apostles had about structuring themselves after their familiar 12 tribes of Israel. Part of our challenge as a church in Kootenai in this time is to structure for mission. But what I hear in this passage is to get going on the mission first and then figure out what we need to accomplish that mission, to be open to adapting and having leadership that may look different in different places, different contexts. If I can quote what the primate said yesterday in her address to our synod about adaptive leadership in these times, as we're living into that, we are recognizing ecumenical partners and that the leadership in new configurations will not look like what we're used to. Jesus' mission of loving the world, the mission we are called to, the mission of justice for the disenfranchised, of welcoming the stranger, of feeding the hungry, we have this question in front of us. Who is our neighbor and how are we to serve them? And we cannot seek leaders who will only do what has been previously done. We have in this diocese, The richness of licensed lay ministers, of deacons, of locally trained priests, and seminary trained priests. Or something else perhaps that we can't imagine yet until we see a new mission and listen to the spirit about what kind of leadership is needed. Missioners those who have been gifted with particular gifts for this mission. I absolutely believe from my experience that God gives us the persons we need for what God is calling us to do. If you were all sitting together in church this morning, I would say, look around you. All of you are called to mission. I confess that one of the first things I fell in love with about the Diocese of Kootenai is that there was a prayer vigil leading up to the election. And we have held this synod this weekend with a continuous prayer vigil held around the diocese. We have a commitment here in this diocese to listen for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We have a willingness to explore a fresh approach to our mission. We live with openness to a God who is doing a new thing. I am comforted by the fact that even if those first apostles restructured prematurely, they had a stance of faithful listening to God. They had a habit of prayer. They trusted that God was guiding them. And that trust gave them the courage and the readiness so that the Holy Spirit got in there and stirred them up anyway. May we continue as a diocese to have that prayerful, attentive readiness to the God who is doing a new thing. Amen.